Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. We are going to read our scripture together today. It'll be on the screen behind me. And it is from Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in the dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet never said a word. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and as sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of this experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins." I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many, and he interceded for the rebels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Chad Stewart. I'm an associate pastor here at the Vineyard. And um, whenever it came up to preach this sermon, I saw what the topic was. And in it, I was like, I kind of want to talk about that. It just so happened to be the week that we were in Phoenix. And so I looked at Lindsay, and I was like, oh, can I do that one? And, and her response was such a Lindsay response. It was, will you? Oh, my gosh. Because I want to talk about something happy. Not this. And I was like, great. So welcome to church. Um, Um, So we're going to work through part two. This is our second uh, series on this topic. Um, Because we believe to be fully alive to God and the world, we have to be aware and intentionally working on the disorder and chaos of our soul. Because we live in a disordered and chaotic world that consciously and unconsciously disciples our soul, whether we know it or not. So we have to be intentionally aware of what's going on in our soul 
for us to be healthy, fully formed disciples of Jesus, representing him not only in our personal lives, but to the world around us. And I get the privilege of talking about the topic we all love. Um, we're going to talk about enlarging our soul through grief. Um, has anyone heard of the book by a guy named Jerry Sitzer? It's called A Grace Disguised. Has anyone read that? Um, Jerry's story is devastating. He was a pro professor in the state of Washington at Whitworth College. In 1991, he was driving back from an evening event on a two-lane rural road with his mother, his wife, and his four children. Um, and then at that time, a drunk driver hit them head-on at 85 miles per hour. In an instant, he lost his mother, his wife, and one of his da daughters, um, three generations in total. Although his book is one about his loss, it's just not a book about loss. It's a meditation on what does one do in times of pain and grief. In it, he chronicles his first three years of dealing with his grief and, of course, the grief of his surviving three other children. It's one of the most honest accounts that you will ever read. But he writes early on in this, he says this, Recovery from such a loss is a misleading and empty expectation. We, we recover from broken limbs, not amputations. Catastrophic loss, by definition, precludes recovery. It's either going to transform us or destroy us, but it will never be the same. He then goes on to say, The sorrow I feel has not disappeared, but it has been integrated into my life as a painful part of a healthy whole. It has enlarged my soul. The soul is elastic. It's like a balloon. It can grow through suffering. Loss can enlarge its capacity for anger, depression, or anguish, which is all natural and legitimate emotions when we experience loss. But an enlarged soul is capable of experiencing great joy, strength, peace, and love. Let me say that life is full of loss and disappointment. There is a loss of identities, jobs, roles, unemployment, and retirement. There is a loss in divorce or with dreams and doors being closed. There is a loss of confidence in failures, loss of love because of breakups or death. There is loss because of the things we have done or the things done to us. In this life, loss seems to pile up over time, and so does grief. And now people who follow Jesus are no less susceptible, are susceptible to this. Dare I say they're even more. Um, because we believe in a God who wants and does intervene in this world. And when it seems he doesn't, we have to wrestle with that. I often say faith often looks like going all in, expecting God to come through, even if in the end it seems he doesn't. The testimony experience of my life is that God has been undeniably active and miraculous. I have seen God do amazing things and miraculous things in my life. God has also seemed to be inexplicably, inexplicable, I can't talk, sorry. I got like 400 milligrams of caffeine in me right now. I would have double-fisted my bang drink and some coffee this morning, but... I would think you guys think I have a problem. Um, but God has also been inactive at critical moments in my life to where I've seen the miraculous and to 
where I have no clue why he hasn't intervened. And that just adds another layer to the questions for us who follows Jesus. It's not only that there's pain, loss, and grief, but what about the moments God doesn't intervene, or as it seems, he doesn't? And if we do not know how to deal with grief in our lives, sooner or later, we implode. Uh, the guy who wrote the book in which we're doing the sermon series off from, Pete, Pete's Cazero, says this. We numb our pain through denial, blaming, rationalizations, addictions, and avoidance. We search for spiritual shortcuts around our wounds. We demand others take away our pain. Yet we all face many deaths within our lives. The choice is whether these deaths will be terminal, crushing our spirit and life, or open us up to new possibilities and, and depths of transformation in Christ. Another man I like, a vineyard theologian, Alexander Venter, says this. We all suffer the consequences of living in a fallen world. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. We cannot stop life's hurts coming upon us, no matter how godly we may be. But we can decide how to respond to them. We can't find God's meaning and purpose in what happens to us. He is present with us in it all. Jesus comes to us on the water in the midst of our storm, and he can turn it for our good. God saves us through life's trials and struggles, not from them. Both Cazero, Venter, and Sitcher warned us that our response to grief and emotions inside of us will either transform us for good or destroy us. The steps we take to deal with our grief or not, will determine our life, even our walk with Jesus. Here at Vineyard Springbrook, I want our pain, loss, and grief in life to be redeemed and become part of our power in life, to become part of our transformation and hope to others whenever we go out into the world. So the question is, what do we do with our disappointments and griefs so that they can transform us and not destroy us? How do we respond when grief is screaming to control our emotions in the midst of everyday life? So the first thing I want to say is that we have to remember our story. As the people of Jesus living in the word world, we have to place ourselves in the story of God. Uh, we have talked a lot about perspectives here at Vineyard Springbrook recently, and we talk about that because if you don't have the story right, if you don't know the correct perspective and truth in which we're walking in, then we're probably not going to respond correctly. And we're going to find ourselves outside of the story of God and living a completely different narrative in the world and one with no hope. And our story is one where in creation of the world in Genesis, we see God speak to the chaos of nothingness and create order, order in which there is no pain or grief or depression or disorder. It's a picture of God and man relating and existing with one another as God intended. The creation story is God's will. When we think later of when Jesus tells us to pray, may your kingdom come soon, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we get a glimpse of what Jesus is praying and wanting to restore, a right relationship with God and the world, the Eden story. Yet in the story of disorder, um, it comes Disorder comes into the world with Adam and Eve's fall in the garden. We see disorder entering back into the world, causing sin to affect everyone. We see murder, abuse, oppression, slavery, slavery, disease, death, and I could go on and on. It brought disorder to the world and our souls. 
We see the world as God did not intend it to be after the fall. What is not God's will? Thus, the will of God is not disorder, pain, and grief, but order and abundant life. And yet, it is hard to relate to a God that seems to be distant when disorder breaks in sometimes. We often, in the midst of our life, pains and grief, believe that God is this all-powerful but distant God. In his power, he often seems distant because we know he has the ability to intervene in our circumstances, and that often because we hold him in just his power and just, in other words, his sovereignty, it makes him seem unrelatable and at times unreliable. Pain and grief wants us to believe a narrative about God that just isn't true, crippling us in emotions that draw and draw us away from him. Our text today, though, tells us a different story. Isaiah 53 may be one of the best prophetic Old Testament writings about Jesus and my personal humble opinion. It is also one of my favorite portions of scripture. The narrative of Isaiah 53 is of a suffering servant who was not valued. Listen to these verses again. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green suit, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. It goes on to say in the end in verse 11 and 12, when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. He will bear all of their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Our story is one of a triumphant, powerful, victorious, inbreaking God, but also a God of sorrows, griefs, and pains. So he can relate to us. He's not distant. In fact, he bore them. Every single one. Lindsay often has a quote from Brendan Manning that she uses a ton. So I don't feel bad about using a quote from a guy named Jordan saying that I use all too often. And if you guys want to know a little secret, um, he's not a vineyard guy. I didn't expect him to be at the vineyard conference this week. And so I'm like first night full on worshiping. I'm going and then I'm just looking around the room. I'm trying to see what the Holy Spirit is doing. Then I see him. Like I quote this guy all the time and I see him up there. And what happens, if you guys ever been to a Backstreet concert back in the day when you were like eight years old, this is exactly what happened. I'm worshiping, I'm looking at the Holy Spirit. And let me say this, I watch this guy all the time. So I would know if I saw him and I see him. My mouth does this. And then I realize my mouth does that. And then I do this. And then I turn to the only person who would understand my joy and excitement. And I turn to Lindsay like, and I walk over to her and I'm like, Jordan Sings here. Are you going to go talk to him? No, I never did. 
I was so nervous. But I also implored Lindsay to go get prayer from him all week, and she did, and it was fantastic. <laughs> he prayed for Saren McCarter's leg, and I was like, Saren, I never washed that leg again. Like, and honestly, I have a little bit of a man crust on him, not only in the speaking, but in personal appearance. He's a cute guy. Like, he's fantastic. Like, I love that guy. So, yeah, I had a good week. <laughs> but, but Jordan says this in his book called Mir- Miracle Work. He says this. The character of God is, isn't really shown by his power. It's shown by a combination of his power and vulnerability. Yes, he's all-powerful, but he suffers with you. Yes, he's Lord, but he won't lord it over you. If he were merely wondrous, he'd be unreachable, but he's also lowly, so you can trust him. I love that. In our pain and grief, God understands us. He can relate. So we don't have to put off coming into his presence. We don't have to let the voice of grief discourage and control us. God more than understands what we're going through. Like he bore our sin, he also bore our grief and pain associated with the sins and disorder of the world. In Jesus' atonement, he not only, I want to say that again, he not only bore our sin but our grief and pains. The, par- uh, the New Testament and the message and those like that that are mostly just a paraphrase of the original text um, don't do justice in Isaiah 53. Um, they just don't. Um, even literal translations don't depict the fullness of Isaiah 53. The New Testament in Greek, though, gives us insight into it. A literal translation in, in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says this, Yet he yet himself bore our sicknesses, and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was upon him, and we are healed by his wounds. Matthew actually, actually quotes this in Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 and 17. when He says, When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He drove out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick, so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. Um, we spiritualize those verses in Isaiah 53 when we just talk about sorrows. Isaiah, and like Matthew is saying, he actually took our diseases. And when Jesus healed, he referred back to that. The word for weakness, disease, and pain in the Greek in Isaiah 53 is the same word and yet translated differently because it's too big. It can't encompass everything that that means. And turning it into an English is really hard. And it paints the value of the atonement of Jesus. The Greek word includes sin, sickness, pain, sorrow, and grief. God made man in his image, a triune God and Father, Son, Holy, Holy Spirit, and a triune man in spirit, soul, and body. The spirit which God renews at conversion, the soul which includes our thoughts and emotions, our mind, and our body which is, um, you know, skin, organs, all of that. And they all affect one another. 
when our spirit is out of control, it wrecks havoc on our soul and body. When our emotions are running havoc, a panic attack comes and it affects our body. When our body is sick and not whole, it affects the soul and the spirit. His salvation and atonement just isn't meant for our spirit that he renews that conversion. He is renewing, but also for our body and soul. The Greek word there covers it all. That's why Matthew refers to it as he does. That's why the translators in every verse are so confused about what to do in Isaiah 53. Guys, God can meet us in our pains and grief because he bore them like he did our sin. We just have to give it to him like we do our sin. So the first thing is making and making sure grief does not destroy us but transform us is to remember our story, to place ourselves back in that story. The perspective, this truth of an all-powerful yet vulnerable God bearing our sorrow and grief. The second thing that helps us to lead for transformation and not to destroy us is prayer and conversation. Um, And so conversation with people. Here's something that we don't always understand and we're not always aware of, but in us disclosing our emotions, pain, and grief to a close friend, God is also present in that conversation. And he listens just as much as if you're talking to him. And so typically we get a guilt trip. Well, um, did you talk to Jesus before you talk to people? Well, actually, Jesus is present when you talk to people. And he takes that as an offering for himself to intervene. Uh, Jesus is just that good. And also, whenever you're dealing with your own grief, you really need to pick trusted people that aren't cold or bitter. You need to pick people who are living in the story of God, who's also gonna see you in that story and be able to have empathy when they should have empathy, who's gonna be able to give a word when it's acceptable to give a word. The people you trust with your grief and surround in your grief will transform you or destroy you. And not only that prayer. I wanna say this, God's people are not asked to deny their emotions but voice their protest to vent their feelings and pour it all out to God. Pain, grief, and prayer are a crucial part of the journey of faith of God's people in a broken world. We have to be able to talk to God about our grief. And the first part is to believe he cares. And as we see in the Isaiah story, he bore those same pains and griefs way before you even have them. So he's more than ready to talk about it. And he knows how you feel, exactly how you feel. And he can sympathize and empathize better than any human ever could. Um, I have a journal. I started keeping one. um, And I have this. I'm going to put that in my will as fast as I can about this journal. And that is no one is allowed to read that ever. And if it happens and I'm dead, I'm sure I'll come back alive, burn it, and die again. Um, um, I'm going to have it to where it says, hey, honey, I love you, but burn that thing. I don't even want you to read that thing. Um, The reason is, is I kept this journal, and I'm thinking, you know, you have all those journals of the great saints in the past, and they publish it. Let me tell you, that's not that type of journal (laughs) at all. I disclosed, I found out as I started keeping one, I started to disclose all my emotions in prayer to God, whether good or bad. So when I was angry and upset, I would write in that journal and jot it down to God, and when I jotted it down on paper, it left me. 
And so I disclose those feelings to God. Some of you, it may just be a time of prayer. For me, it's a journal. I write them down so they're real, and I offer it as a sacrifice to God. This is how I feel. feel. I'm angry at this person, and I leave, and I'm not so angry at those people. I actually love them. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want to be we do not want you to be uninformed about those who, who uh, fall asleep in death so that you who do not grieve like the rest of the mankind who have, no, who have no hope, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Paul's not saying that you should not grieve. He just says you should not grieve like those who have no hope. As we follow Jesus, we don't grieve like the world grieves. We grieve in hope that there actually is this almighty God that can transform every situation. And I like to say in this past year, I've learned a little bit about depression. And depression to me is when hope gets killed and just keeps on killing hope and killing hope. Um, And that's what grief does. And there's this gift, guys, with Jesus. Um, And it's something I did back when God spoke to me about my emotional health and wanted me to, and just sovereignly was like, hey, this is for you. You're going to enter in here. We're going to have a fun time. Um, but, But basically, I visited all the situations in my life in God's presence with the grief. I brought up those memories and held them before Jesus. The pains that I have caused people and the pains that people have caused me. And I offered it as a sacrifice. I was like, Lord, we're gonna go through these thoughts and memories right now. I set aside this time, and I'm gonna ask you to come and look at these with me because I don't have proper perspective. I condemn myself and I condemn others. I need you to help me. And so in prayer, in conversation with God, we bring all those things before him, trusting him. And I found him even when I had wronged people He wasn't so mean. What I've learned is that he was like, hey, here's what was going on in your heart. You just didn't know it. That's why you acted the way you did. He's kind. He will point things out to us. He won't sigh back. But gosh, it's good whenever he does speak about it. And so we go to God. One of the ways we let God transform us instead of us being destroyed by grief, is that we bring it before God and offer it as a sacrifice. The last thing in which we're in here today, and this may seem completely counterintuitive, I know, but Thanksgiving and more so. Thanksgiving and more so. In times of grief and loss, we must be aware that we have a chance to give God an offering that we can't give him in heaven. In heaven, there will be no grief. There will be no pain or sickness or anything at all. And so we're worshiping God in the midst of a perfect relationship, a perfect um, God's will um, being in heaven. We don't have to deal with pain or loss, and we worship him. But here we have the chance to worship him in that. Um, And in this past year, that's something I have intuitively learned, and I heard spoken out once, and I was like, oh, Jesus, that's what you've been leading me in. In this past year, I haven't held back this year, preached a sermon a while ago, in which I talked about me and my wife having to chew miscarriages this year. And then back in August, at the start of August, I had a brother who unexpectedly, unexpectedly passed away. My parents called me at two in the afternoon, said, hey, he's in the ER. They've given him two days to live. And then six hours later, he is gone. This year for me and my wife hasn't been the easiest. There's been pain and grief. 
But I've learned this in the midst of that, God, when the first miscarriage happened, there's something that just happened in which I started thanking God for loving me, thanking God that he was with me, that God, I believe you are the way maker, the, mir- the miracle worker. I believe this to my core and I will not be offended. Jesus, I love you. Thank you for loving me. And you're as good today as you were yesterday. Whenever my brother passed away, um, that's when I dealt with my greatest grief. And I remember being in a worship service and they started to sing that song. And I was like, I believe all of this, but I don't feel it. I haven't experienced it lately, Jesus. And I see this song, I go, I don't want to sing it. I'm not in the mood to sing, but I offer it as a sacrifice. I offer it as worship to you. And in worship and thanksgiving in the midst of grief and disappointment, um, whenever, we, whenever we offer that to God, it informs our will intentionally to honor God in any situation. In any situation, Jesus, in this moment, you are the way maker. I believe in you. I trust you. And in that, guys, uh, that has not turned this year. This year is not the worst year of my life, surprisingly. Um, And not that I'm heroic by any means. I have days of great grief, days where I don't want to go on, days in which I just want to sit and feel pain. But he's lowly, so he does it with me. Our pain and grief should not destroy us. In fact, for a Christian, it's it's an avenue of great power that God uses. God doesn't cause pain or grief, but he will use it for his glory and our glory. And so as we end here today, I'm gonna to invite Brad to come on up. I want us to do two things. We're, we're, we're gonna do the two things we talked about today. Um, during me speaking, um, the spirit may have spoke to you about some grief you have, some pain you have, some of the losses you have. There's things that cause chaos in your soul. And I'm gonna give us a moment. And we're gonna, and if, you um, want to invite the Lord to come and go over that memory with you, I would suggest you invite him because he's here and his spirit is on the move. And we allow him to speak with us. And so that's what we're going to do for Selah. And then the second thing we're going to do, we're going to take communion and sing a song. And what I want you guys to do is that grief, that pain, that loss, that you take it, you give it to him. And then you offer a sacrifice and worship saying, God, I will honor you in all situations. And here's what I've learned. There's some things that Jesus in that moment had just taken off from me. But there's other things I have had to deal with and walk with and continue to offer to him. And so that's what we're going to do today. Um, I'm going to give us a moment. I'm going to pray. And then I'm just going to allow us to hold these things before God. And then Lindsay's going to come up and do communion. So Jesus, we invite your spirit to come. Father, there's things that maybe came up that are causing chaos in our soul, the grief that we feel, either what others have done to us, God, or what we've done to others. Father, we pray in your name, Jesus, for freedom. Freedom that doesn't move on, but freedom that transform us. Freedom that our pain, our grief, our sorrow becomes our power. we ask 
May you make us aware of your presence. God, speak to our heart in a more manifest way. Come, Holy Spirit.